0: What's up guys? I'm Megan. And I'm Laura. And welcome to the first ever episode of Bonded Bitches, a true crime podcast that explores the morbid, the macabre, and the fucked up individuals of this world. Join us every Monday for a new episode. We started this podcast because we both have an unhealthy obsession with true crime and because Laura is single. So call me. Uh, Our first episode, we take a look into the life of
1: one Matthew J. Hoffman.
0: Born on November 1st, 1980, Matthew John Hoffman is the son of Robert and Patricia Hoffman. He grew up in the Warren area in northeastern Ohio, moving with his mother to Knox County following his parents' divorce in 1997. Hoffman served time in Steamboat Springs, Colorado for a crime he committed in 2000. He was arrested for robbery and arson, claiming he lit the townhouse on fire to cover up the robbery. No one was harmed, but there was $2 million in damages. Hoffman later admitted that he lit the townhouse on fire because he was living in one of the complexes and wanted to cover up any trace of him being there. Hoffman fled back to Apple Valley, where his mother and stepfather lived. Steamboat Springs police officers suspected Hoffman in another crime. The theft of the welcome to Steamboat Springs sign. So he agreed to go back to Colorado for questioning. And this is where
1: I need someone to explain to me where a grown (laughs) ass man goes around stealing signs in the middle of the night where he could do something
0: like stamp collecting. Or fucking volleyball or anything other than stealing a sign. By the way... Police found these signs under a hotel room bed that was rented in Hoffman's name. So, yeah, evidently it was him. Hoffman was sentenced to eight years in prison and served six of those eight years. Um, By the way, this was for the townhouse fire, not the sign theft. Um, After his parole, he returned to Ohio in 2007, where he reported to local parole authorities. Charles Feldman, who prosecuted the case, was quoted saying that Hoffman struck me as someone who had a horrific appetite, a premeditated appetite, to cause that kind of damage and the potential loss of life. In the days leading up to Hoffman's 30th birthday, not much was going right in his already troubled life. He had not gone out of his way to make many friendships over his lifetime, and he basically just kept to himself. A friend described him as an intelligent man but with zero common sense. So we have a man who is very, very
1: smart, no social skills, and it has been said that dogs hated him. (laughs) If that is not a red flag, I don't know what is.
0: Described as a nice guy until summer 2010 when his demeanor changed. His dogs went missing and his neighbor was quoted saying, I believe in my heart that he killed those dogs. He started pulling back and acting strange. I don't know what set him off. He was just getting more and more strange. His girlfriend and her eight year old son moved out of the house, and when she returned to collect some of her belongings, Hoffman choked her. Luckily, she managed to get away. She reported the incident to police, but she declined to press charges. Hoffman worked at Fast Eddies, a grounds maintenance and tree trimming service in Mount Vernon. His boss later found out that he had lied about his experience and failed to disclose his criminal record. So, in late October of 2010, he was let go. Okay, but all of this still doesn't explain how an odd man became a mass murderer and kidnapping suspect with 13-year-old Sarah Maynard tied up in his basement. Criminologists say that triggers such as job loss or the ending of a relationship can ignite a buried fuse that burns into violence or even murder. Around the same time, Hoffman began setting squirrel traps around his yard. He would catch them, butcher them, and barbecue them. Nothing
1: says springtime like sitting around a campfire at night eating rotisserie
0: squirrel. (laughs) Honey garlic squirrel. (laughs) Neighbors reported Hoffman would climb up into a large tree on his property and perch there for hours. Dendrophilia is the obsession with trees, which clearly he had. Now, I can't find anything that states that he had a sexual attraction to trees, but Dr. Kate Termini, a forensic psychologist, states this would not be the first person who had a sexual attraction or affiliation to trees, which is really actually kind of fucked. I'd like to know,
1: like, do you wind them? Do you dine them? <laughs> do you rub them? What how is, does this work? Like, how do you have an, a, a sexual attraction to
0: a tree? I mean, I'm not judging. People have fetishes and I'm cool with that. I'm judging. Okay, I'm also... I was trying to be the voice of reasoning. I was trying to be nice. I'm judging. Okay, I'm also judging you. Fuck you, Matthew Hoffman. (laughs) Moving on. Hoffman's dark urges started resurfacing, and he knew of a house in Apple Valley that was located across the road from a dense forest. The garage door didn't close all the way, which ensured him easy access. This guy camped out in the forest across the road from Tina Herman's house and watched the house to learn the family's routine. Hoffman claimed that this was never supposed to be a murder and that it was simply a robbery gone wrong, but I think he's a lying piece of shit. Despite his claim, he brought a knife with him that police later described as jungle primitive. See, and if you're going to do a simple robbery,
1: why bring a knife?
0: Especially a fucking jungle primitive knife. Like, you don't bring shit like that unless you intend to kill. I actually genuinely think that this entire thing... Was him. He wanted Sarah Maynard. I think he had been
1: watching this family for a long time. Yeah. Knew exactly what he was doing and knew exactly what he was going to
0: do. And he wanted that child. Yes. Like keyword child. Like a 13 year old child was his fucking end goal here. In early November, 2010, Tina Herman failed to show up for her shift at a local Dairy Queen, which was very unusual. So unusual, in fact, that her manager and friend, Valerie Haythorn, contacted local police almost immediately to do a wellness check. For local sheriffs, a red flag was raised upon learning that Herman and her boyfriend, Greg Borders, had a rocky relationship and had just broken things off. Naturally, they questioned Greg immediately, but he had a very solid alibi that checked out and was very cooperative with law enforcement, so he was quickly ruled out as a suspect. An officer drove to Tina's home and knocked on the door. No one answered the door, but unfortunately, because nothing looked suspicious or out of place, there was nothing the officer could do. The same officer went back at the end of his shift to check again, and although no one answered the door, this time the officer noted that there was a car in the driveway and the lights were on. Valerie couldn't shake the feeling that something was very wrong, though, so she went to Tina's house herself. She snuck in through a window and was instantly horrified by the amount of blood she was faced with. She immediately called authorities. Valerie later stated, quote, There was enough blood, I knew there was a problem. Nobody cut their finger in that house. Police arrived and immediately issued a missing persons alert for Tina Herman, Sarah Maynard, Cody Maynard, and Stephanie Sprang. Police issued a description of the missing persons as follows Tina Herman, 31 years old, 5 foot 6, 122 pounds, with sandy blonde hair and blue eyes. Sarah Maynard, 13 years old, 5 feet tall, 90 pounds, blonde hair and green eyes. Cody Maynard, 11 years old, 4 foot 10, 70 pounds, brown hair and hazel eyes. And Stephanie Sprang, 41 years old, 5 foot 3, 110 pounds blonde hair and green eyes. Police contacted the ex-husband of Tina and the father of Sarah and Cody, Larry Maynard, who had a solid alibi and he was genuinely very distraught. Hoffman entered the home on November 10th, 2010, and after an hour or so of him being there, Tina Herman and Stephanie Sprang came back. They had been looking at apartments for Tina. Hoffman then attempted to knock Tina out with the butt of his hunting knife—you know, the one that he brought with him—because this was not a murder; it was a robbery. Ah, uh, but Tina wouldn't lose consciousness despite the multiple blows to the head. Um, when Stephanie Sprang found them, Hoffman then claimed he panicked and stabbed both women to death.
1: Again, remember, his claim is this was never a murder; this was supposed to be a simple robbery.
0: As Hoffman was trying to figure out what to do. The kids came home from school. Sarah ran to her bedroom and attempted to call the police. Hoffman killed Cody instantly, but I'm not sure. I read two different articles, one saying that he was stabbed in the chest and one saying that he was stabbed in the back of the head. So honestly, I'm not sure which is correct, but either way, he killed him. Hoffman caught Sarah and tied her up with an electrical cord. He then dismembered the bodies in the bathtub. After dismembering the bodies, Hoffman placed them into garbage bags and loaded them into the back of Stephanie Sprang's Jeep Cherokee. He threw Sarah into the back of the Jeep as well. The poor girl not only didn't know her family was dead, but she had no idea she was lying across their dismembered bodies in the back seat. Now
1: this is disturbing because would Matthew not be covered in blood? Would the Jeep not be covered in blood? And how could you not smell the bodies? Yeah, it's fucked. I don't know. I don't get that. I don't know. I feel like she was, like... Shocked. Yeah, like, traumatized. She had to be in shock not to realize that some... Also,
0: I feel like at 13 years old, you still have, like, a little bit of faith left in humanity. I didn't. You... Okay, well... <laughs> okay, fair. You have an excuse, so This poor child did not... <laughs> Hoffman then drove out to the Cocosing Wildlife area near Fredericktown. He placed the body parts inside a 60-foot hollow tree. Honestly, think about how genius that is for a moment, please. I mean, the guy's fucked, and I don't want to give him any credit here because he doesn't deserve any. But who would have ever found bodies inside of a hollow dead tree?
1: The ghosts of the squirrels that he ate in the past. <laughs> they would come back and haunt. Pointed out to the police? <laughs>
0: Fucking squirrels. Fucking squirrels. (laughs) But honestly, like, I feel like no human being would have found those bodies. Hunters? Yeah. Land developers. Yeah, that's it. he would be long gone. Yeah. If he was smart. He would have taken right off. He would have taken off. Hoffman then took Sarah Maynard to his home and made her a bed out of leaves. He placed blankets down on the leaf pile and later claimed, quote, The girl liked the bed. She thought it was comfortable.
1: If you like lying on cold, wet, stinky
0: leaves,
1: I suppose it would be cozy.
0: I feel like this guy was just lying out his asshole.
1: Well, of course he was.
0: He also claimed that he treated the girl well, that he let her watch Iron Man 2 <laughs> and took her to McDonald's. But I will have you know, he did not take her to McDonald's and instead he gave her an option between um, sour milk and cereal. And fucking squirrel. I'd take the squirrel. (laughs) Okay, moving on to the investigation. In the bathroom of Tina's home, police found evidence that dismemberment of bodies took place. They found marks in the bathtub showing that at one point there was up to two inches of blood in there along with body tissue. This made law enforcement believe that all four victims could be dead. However, this changed when officers found two sets of bloody footprints in the garage. They discovered that one set belonged to Sarah. They found an empty shoebox in Sarah's closet that matched the make and size of the shoe print. Police located Tina's truck in a parking lot. The officer that located the truck noticed a strange man and asked his name and what he was doing. This was Hoffman, and he claimed he was waiting to pick his girlfriend up from work. When asked the girlfriend's name, he stated her name was, okay, fucking Sarah. Snow, what a sick bastard okay
1: what i don't understand he already had her so what was
0: he doing sitting in a truck waiting okay no i'll tell you because i didn't write that down because i'm dumb so he had gone back to get gasoline from tina's truck because he wanted to light the house on fire see that was
1: his mistake he should have just taken the girl and left yeah but he's intelligent What a moron. And dogs hate him. So do squirrels now.
0: (laughs) But honestly, what a sick fuck. This blew me away. This is what made me believe that his intentions were always to abduct this poor girl. I think he went into that house with intentions of taking Sarah and nothing was going to stop him. Which leads
1: back to he had to have been watching this house for a long time, made a plan in his head. Went back, figured out how he was going to dispose of the bodies, all premeditated.
0: Yeah, 100%. This was not a fucking robbery. Back at Tina's home, investigators found industrial garbage bags and tarps in Walmart shopping bags. They assumed these items were used for the attempted cleanup. Police then went to their local Walmart and watched surveillance footage in hopes to find the person purchasing these items. They then found footage of Matthew Hoffman purchasing said items. The video footage was good enough to get a decent visual of the suspect, and they also got a shot of the car that he left in. Police ran a search of the make and model of the car Hoffman was driving, and sure enough, they found a picture that matched the man buying supplies in Walmart. And as it turns out, he was wearing the exact same shirt in his license photo as he was in Walmart that night. Once discovered this man's name was Matthew John Hoffman, one of the police officers recognized the name from the man that he approached in the parking lot where Tina's truck was located. He told fellow officers that he was there waiting for his girlfriend Sarah to get off of work. With Sarah's safety in jeopardy, investigators rushed to obtain a no-knock search warrant. In the early morning of November 15th, a SWAT team burst into Hoffman's home and apprehended him. Inside the house, investigators found a massive amount of leaves. Shocking, I know. Like piles of leaves and bags of leaves just scattered throughout the house. There were bags of leaves stapled to the walls of the bathroom. Investigators were worried there could be bodies under the leaf piles in the living room, but the search of the leaf pile turned up nothing. In the freezer, investigators found a few red popsicles and two dead squirrels. Hoffman killed these squirrels because he didn't like to grocery shop.
1: Okay, I personally find that disgusting. Like, what's wrong with purple popsicles? Why red?
0: (laughs) Never mind the fucking rotting squirrels. No,
1: I I have objections with the red popsicles.
0: I don't know, man. I like red better than purple.
1: Or I don't like orange.
0: I kind of like orange. May those squirrels rest in peace. Poor squirrels. Investigators then searched the basement and found Sarah tied up and gagged on another pile of leaves. Detectives later interviewed Sarah, and she stated that, quote, he told me that if I started screaming that he was going to kill me. She also stated that he sexually assaulted her. Once Hoffman was apprehended, he was not very cooperative with law enforcement at all. And I actually was pissed off because I was so excited that, uh, His interrogation was on YouTube, and this motherfucker was dead quiet for over an hour. Like, didn't say a word. But anyways, he finally confessed, and uh, I'm going to read it to you. Quote, I parked my car in Howard and walked from there to the house. I got to the woods across the street from the house a little after midnight. I slept across the street from the house that night in a sleeping bag. I woke up at daylight. There were two vehicles parked in the house during the night, and I saw that the grey car had left. I went back to sleep until around nine on Wednesday morning. I stayed there until a woman left in a pickup truck. This meant there were no vehicles at the house. I walked across the street and tried to enter the front door, but it was locked. I then went in through the garage door. The garage door was not closed all the way, so I slid under it into the garage. I kicked the door into the house from the garage. By this time it was approximately 10:30 a.m. Wednesday morning. I looked around the house to make sure no one was there. Even if I did not take anything, there was a certain amount of excitement in being in someone else's home without them being there. I was looking for anything of value that could be carried out easily, i.e., money, jewelry, etc. I did not find anything of any real value. I was getting ready to leave as I had been there approximately an hour, but someone pulled into the driveway. I was back in the bedrooms when she entered the house and was unable to exit without breaking a window and trying to jump out. I had brought my knife for a certain amount of intimidation in case I ran into somebody and needed to make an escape. When she made her way back into the bedrooms, I confronted her and made her get onto the bed lying face down. I believe that we were in her bedroom. I had a blackjack. I was going to try to knock her out. I hit her a couple of times in the head, but this would not knock her out. It was not doing the job, and I started panicking. The next thing that I knew, her friend came into the bedroom. I have no idea when she got there, what she was doing there, and how she gained access. The other woman yelled at me. There were now two to deal with, and I did not know what to do. I grabbed the knife that I had put down on the nightstand and stabbed the woman on the bed, through her back twice. I chased the other woman down, Stephanie, and stabbed her a couple of times in the chest. Instead of running out of the house, she had run into another bedroom. I believe this bedroom was for a girl due to the contents of the room. I then went back to the other bedroom where the first woman was located and stabbed her a couple of more times. I could tell that both women were now dead. At this time, I was in a total state of shock. I wandered around the house, slowly coming to the realization of what I had done and how bad it was. During this time, I killed the dog because it would not stop barking. After a while, I came to the conclusion that I was going to dispose of the bodies and burn the house down. At first, I thought about loading the bodies into the vehicle, driving it into Foundation Park Pond. I would swim away as the vehicle sank, but I felt that it was too cold and I might not be able to make it out of the water. I decided to process the bodies and dispose of them inside a tree that I knew was hollow. I took the bodies into the bathroom and began processing the bodies to dispose of them. I used garbage bags from within the house and placed the bodies inside. Once I had finished processing the bodies, I moved the jeep into the garage to load up the bodies. I still had a couple of bags to load into the jeep when I heard the children come into the house. I confronted the children and the girl instantly ran to a bedroom. I stabbed the boy in the chest a couple of times. I ran into the bedroom after the girl to make sure she was not on the phone for help. I saw the girl was not on the phone and I could not bring myself to kill her. I did not enter the house to kill those people. I did not know a single one of them. I did not know their names and I did not know who all lived at the house. I chose the house to break into because there were not any close neighbors and I noticed the garage door was ajar. I chose the house the day before. I did not plan for any of this to happen. I did not want to kill anyone, and I tried to just knock the first woman out so that I would be able to escape. This was not working, a second woman showed up, and things quickly spiraled out of control. They kept escalating, and I was panicking. I only chose to process the bodies to make their disposal easier. Hoffman faced a total of 10 counts, including aggravated murder, gross abuse of a corpse, burglary, kidnapping, and rape. He pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. This is Sarah Maynard's victim impact statement. Quote, this has changed my whole life and my family's life too. My mom constantly worked so I never got to see her and I never really talked to my brother Cody. This is so sickening, Matthew, to know you even had the guts to do this to a family. Stephanie was a great woman too. She watched Cody and I whenever my mom needed her to. All I'm thinking about is how sick and disgusting Matthew is. I will never forget to this day about Cody and my mom, Tina. I think Matthew was really stupid for killing the dog, too. What could we have possibly done to you for us to get treated this way, Matthew? There was no reason why Matthew should have killed my family. I knew you killed my family, Matthew, when you kidnapped me. I kept asking you if you killed my mom and brother, and you said, quote, don't worry about it. He will have to suffer the rest of his life like we have had to suffer. How could you possibly do this to a loving and caring family? Matthew, you must have been planning this for a really long time because you have to have skills and time to do such a thing to somebody like us. I know for a fact that he didn't do this by himself. I don't understand why Matthew is such a coward and can't tell us who else was involved with this. From what I know and from what Matthew would tell me, I was talking to someone else. Also, Matthew, you had told me that someone had dropped you off at our house because there was no other vehicles in our driveway besides my mom's truck and Stephanie's Jeep. I hope you didn't make up the weather, Matthew, because we are going to find out the information anyway. Matthew, I wonder if this stuff is even going through your head, saying to yourself, why did I even do this because now I, I am in prison for life, end quote. Now, I don't think there was actually anybody else involved. Matthew had said to Sarah um, multiple times that, like, she couldn't try to escape or do anything because he had people watching the house. Like, obviously, there wasn't. But, you know, when you're 13 years old, you're obviously not going to take a chance.
1: No, this was a one-person job. Yeah. And, unfortunately, there's probably details we'll never know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: These are a few quotes from the victim's obituaries. I just feel like it's important to acknowledge them in all of this. Um, Quote, Tina was a courageous and energetic woman whose greatest joy in life was being a mother. She worked at Dairy Queen in Mount Vernon and had the ability to connect with some of the simpler things in life, like blooming sunflowers or her dolphin collection. Her beloved son, Cody, a gentle child with an enormous heart, was a fifth grader at East Knox Elementary School. He enjoyed all sports, especially baseball. Stephanie Sprang would light up any room she walked into and had a beautiful, contagious smile. She loved her children more than anything in the world. Matthew Hoffman is currently rotting in the Toledo Correctional Institution where he is being held in protective custody. Also, too, by the way, when he first got arrested, they wanted to, like, put him in a holding jail. And uh, they didn't because they were too worried about somebody killing him for, you know, being a fucking child rapist.
1: Which I don't understand because being in with the populace would have been the best thing for the justice system.
0: Oh, honestly, I would have tossed him to the wolves. But unfortunately, this is why I am, you know, not a fucking judge. Sarah Maynard has done a few interviews and has appeared on the Dr. Phil show and the NBC Today show. Um, Other than that, she's just laying low, and, you know, I hope for her sake she's doing the things she needs to do in order to move on with her life in a healthy way. But, yeah, other than that, that is our Matthew Hoffman episode. Final thoughts. This guy's fucked. But in all seriousness, rest in peace to the victims, Tina, Stephanie, and Cody. Their lives were taken way too soon by this monster. Rest in peace to the beloved Minpin Tanner. And um, the copious amounts of squirrels that were harmed by this piece of shit.
1: May God rest their furry little bums.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And bear with us, guys, and our audio. Uh, Neither one of us are very intelligent when it comes to technology. So we are trying to figure this out the best we can and hopefully... Within the next few weeks, we will sound a little bit better. And also, too, follow us on Instagram at bondedbitchespod. Let us know, you know, comment, message us. Let us know what you guys want to hear, what you guys think we could improve on. Please do not send anything that has to do with squirrel. No squirrel recipes. No squirrel recipes. Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) I'm Megan. And I'm Laura. And this is Bonded Bitches. Have a great week, guys.